Hey, we're fired up and just celebrating momentum this past weekend. Multiple students made decisions for Christ, decisions for baptism, and so we're fired up for that. And I just want to thank you as a church because we are unapologetic in our investment in the next generation. And so many of you have served, so many of you give, so many of you pray. So thank you for that. That's huge. That's awesome. That's important. Also, remind you, what I believe is the most important service of the month is coming up first Wednesday in November. It is our time to pray as a church family, to seek God in worship, and to come back to the the foundation of our faith and nourish that faith by observing the Lord's Supper. And then we are in this middle of this series called Ripple Effect. We're navigating through every verse of Paul's letter, first letter to the church at Corinth, and we're uh, just moving forward in that. It's awesome. I do want to call your attention to the Next Step card. I really believe that this weekend, there's many of you that are going to have prayer requests prompted by this, uh, by the message that we're going to get into. You may have a decision that the Holy Spirit lays upon your heart or for your life or for the direction of your life. If that's a decision or a direction that we can help you in, then we need to know about that, and we would love for you to use this Next Step card. Of course, you can use the chat online. You can always talk to an elder, a staff member, a pastor after our service at any of our Connect Here areas. So to set up where Paul is going, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the last half of that, of that chapter, to set up where he's going and to, to remind us uh, of just kind of what's going to hit us this, this weekend I want us to think about a lot of the questions that just we ask ourselves sort of sub- subconsciously or intentionally in our, in our day-to-day lives. We, we, these are questions that sort of drive us and define us. A big one, what do I have to do today? How, how many of us, you know, we, first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is we check our smartphone to see what happened or what we missed because we've got like FOMO, fear of missing out, right? I mean, that drives us and that drives a lot of us. You get a text you know, 30 years ago, they didn't even know what text was. Now you get a ding, and you're like freaking out. What's that? Who's, who wants me, right? And, and so we're driven by those kind of things. Sometimes it's news and scores, and it's just a 24-7 cycle uh, and seasons of what do I have to do? Where do I have to go? What am I doing on Friday night? Who just texted me? What am I going to miss? What am I afraid? And those questions just sort of drive us and define us, right? Well, what's going to happen as we open God's Word in just a minute, is we're going to identify five questions that we don't ask a lot, but we need to ask. Five questions that for Christ followers should drive and define our lives, more so than who won the game, what happened while I was asleep, and so I need to check my social media, I need to check the news feed, more so than, oh, who just texted me uh, in the middle of, of whatever, these five questions are incredibly, incredibly important. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm just kind of going to warn you and encourage you and all of those that said ahead of time. Some of these questions are going to hit us as corrective. Some of these questions are going to hit us as an opportunity and an invitation. Some of these questions are going to be evaluative, where we just have to evaluate who we are and what direction that, that we're going. And, and then ultimately, these questions... Or, and some of them are going to point us in a direction that's worth it if we choose to take it. Would you pray with me? Holy God, I just want to invite you to be the one who speaks to us this weekend. 
God, yeah, for some reason you choose to use uh, sinful people like me as a mouthpiece. But God, may I just be faithful to your word because your word is authoritative and your word is true and your word should drive us and define us. So God, I pray, God, for people here that maybe don't even know you, that maybe this weekend they come to know you in a saving, personal, and eternal way. God, I pray for people whose lives are being driven and defined by perhaps the wrong questions and that you would use your word in their heart, in their mind to redirect and to invite them to be a part of something so much bigger than the 24-7 rat race that marks so much of the 21st century we live in. So Holy Spirit, would you find every single one of us, even if we've got doubts and confusions, God, just find us open and teachable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, let me, let me kind of give you the background to, to why we're framing this around questions. I heard this from leadership guru John Maxwell years ago, and I thought it was so insightful. You only get answers to the questions you're asking. You only get answers to the questions you're asking. And that's why I think it's important sometimes for, for us to slow down long enough and ask ourselves a different set of questions. You know, and, and it's like some of us, you know, if you've had a loved one like my wife, diagnosed with leukemia, when you, when you have something like that, you, 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 the questions of who won the game last night just seem kind of trivial, right? And there's nothing wrong with who won the game last night, but sometimes we need to ask questions that are a little bigger and a little bit more about why God created us and why we're here. So we're going to ask some questions of ourselves from God's Word that I think are incredibly important. So here we go. Let's join the Apostle Paul, who's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we'll pick it up in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Here's what he says. He goes, although I am free from all, and not anyone's slave. And so I'm just reading half the sentence there. The emphasis on freedom. Freedom is a big thing to Americans. Freedom is a big thing to Christians. Because in Christ, Paul writes elsewhere, we have been set free. We are set free from the law. We're set free from having to earn our salvation. We're set free from having to figure out who we are, why we're here. We're set free from a lot of things that confuse the world. And Christians have such a great deal of freedom because of who they are in Christ, because of what Christ has accomplished. We have a lot of freedoms as Americans just by virtue of living in this nation. And so freedom is a huge deal to us culturally, but it's a big deal theologically. And I just want us to pause and ask the first question, which is, how am I using my freedom? Because you and I are free to do a lot of things with our time, we're free to do a lot of things with our money. We're do, free to do a lot of things with our energy or our intentionality. And so we can use our freedom for a great deal of activities. We can binge on Netflix, right? Amen, right? We can watch sports. We, we can take a lot of trips. We can, you know, surf the web. We can get on our smartphones. We're, we're free to do a lot of things. If you get a paycheck, yeah, the government takes a percentage out. But you're free to use that almost any way you see fit, for better or for worse, right? So there is so much freedom that we have. Now think about this if you're like a religious person like Paul was. He spent most of his life, B.C. life, 
trying to keep the ceremonial and the moral law of, Jewish, of a Jewish person. And so his diet was dictated to him, how he spent his time with all the, Sabbath, the ceremonies and the Sabbaths and all the, the rituals and the festivals that you see laid out for us in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And he's suddenly free from all of that. So he had all that time and energy that used to go to the, to the ceremonial law that's written about in, in the first five chapter, first five books of the Old Testament. So all of that has been re- resolved and fulfilled in Christ. So Paul has all of this freedom, just like you and I have all of this freedom. And it's the question, how should we use our freedom? Now, now a good answer is have fun, comfort, convenience. A very American answer is to do what I want to do. But Paul takes us in a different direction and forces us to ask ourselves some questions. So here's what Paul says about how he uses his freedom. He goes, although I'm free from all, and I'm not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone to, in order to win, very important word in this text, it's used about four or five times in the Greek, to win more people. Now, he's not talking about win a debate, win an argument, win an election, win a competition. He is talking about when that he would win or influence or impact more people into the kingdom of God. He's talking about missions, or he's talking about what we might call evangelism, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, listen, I am taking my freedom, and I am using my time, my energy, my intentionality in order to influence more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say it at Rockbridge with the core value, we are kingdom seekers. Not the kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of Jesus. And we want to represent that kingdom and bring more people into that kingdom. And so Paul says, look, that's what I do with the freedom that I have. And so I think we have to lay that on our freedom And we can't just say, oh, that's Paul. He's writing the New Testament. He's planting a bunch of churches. I have my own deal. Paul had his deal. No, we can't just say that because God put this in his Bible for us to be authoritative and directive and to help us understand what his will is and how we should live. So we have to ask ourselves this question. How should we use our freedom? And does some of our freedom, does some of our freedom go to win more people to Christ. Now, now, Paul expounds upon this, and he gets very, very specific. He says, when I'm around Jewish people, I, I act like a Jew I, I, to, to win the Jews. I want them to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so parts of that has to be translated. Parts of that has to be incarnated in a way that's understandable. In the same way, Jesus is fully God, yet he became fully human, right? So why? So we could understand more of who God is, more of how God loves, in order that we might surrender our lives to him. And we do the same things. So, so you know, we might say it like, you know, if I want to, to impact athletes, 
I get interested in and involved in athletics. We might say, man, if, if, if I am a Christian business person, in order to influence them and win more of them to Christ, I need to understand entrepreneurship and the challenges of business owners or business people. And we can go on and on. And he continues that. He goes, to those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. And why does he do it? Here's the word, to win those under the law to Christ. This is what missionaries operate by when they go take the gospel to, to foreign lands. This, when we planted Rockbridge Community Church, we did not get in a room, I promise you. We did not get in a room and say, well, this is the kind of music I like. We did not get in the room and say, well, I think everybody ought to wear you know, church clothes. We did not get in a room and say, well, this is what I think church would be like. We got in a room and said, what's it going to take for us to reach more people for Jesus Christ? And you know what? We didn't all get our way either. Because I want to reach more people for Christ. He continues to explain. He says, to those who are without the law, we became like one without the law. Although I am not without God's law, but I'm under the law of Christ. And why? To win those without the law. To the weak, people in weak in their understanding. That doesn't mean weak physically. That doesn't mean lesser than. It just means people who had different understanding. To the weak, I became weak in order, same word, to win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all people. Why? To win more to Christ. That's how I'm using my Christian freedom. And, and so I, I want us to understand what I believe is a driving DNA of Rockbridge Community Church. So 20 years ago, we were free to start a church. You can do that fairly easy. It's not easy, but you can do that legally and, and, and fairly easily in the United States of America, praise God. So we're free to start a church. And, and we wanted to start a church where we could actually reach people from all walks of life. That's in our mission statement. You hear us say all the time that we exist to glorify God, not man, not Rockbridge, to glorify God by connecting people. We're a bridge from all walks of life to the best life, the life there is, to life in Christ. So all walks of life. And so we like, hey, we live, we live in this area. So what does that mean? And that drove decisions that we made about dress code and about, and about music and so many things. It wasn't like we all took a vote. It was like, what's going to help us win more people to Christ? And then we encapsulated some of that in a core value that says we're bridge builders. Do you want me to tell you why at Rockbridge, you know, if you've grown up in church, especially in the Bible Belt, a lot of churches are known to have dress codes, right? And, and, and a lot of people, you know, we don't have one here. And if you've been coming here, it's kind of normal if people dress like I do, like jeans or if it's hot, people in shorts. But, you know, a lot of churches have a dress code. You know why we don't have a dress code? The first time it's happened in South Carolina that I, I was in the Navy, I was stationed in Charleston, and I had an opportunity to preach for a church plant in, 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 a, in, a, in a very um, low-income neighborhood. And this lady gave her life to Christ. And we're talking to her. After the church service. And she said this, and I never forgot it. She said, I almost didn't come because I didn't have anything to wear. And she meant anything nice to wear. And I said to myself, God, if you ever give me any influence, we're going to remove dress code as a barrier. And, and then we, and we looked at some other things. Like, I, I, I have a friend 
that I was in the Navy with and uh, never able to get him to come to church or anything, be open to the gospel. Uh, but I always think if he came, would he be confused by how much we stand up and sit down or lyrics or things I'm saying? So we always think, you know, we say hard things. We say things from the word of God. We'll say hard words, but we're going to translate them and we're going to explain them because we want people to understand the message. We're bridge builders. We're bridge builders. The, in, our, in our Dalton campus, we have a Thursday night service. We did not create that just for convenience. We recognize that we live in a community where people work on the weekends, travel on the weekends. We live in a mill community where we run, you know, we're making floor covering uh, a lot of times on Saturdays and a lot of times on Sundays. And we've got people who work in the healthcare profession, people who work in the restaurant uh, arena. And we're like, hey, Maybe we can build a bridge by offering a service not on the weekend for people to come so they can hear the message of Christ or you can invite someone and they can't say, well, at 10 o'clock, I've got a tea time. Well, you don't have to come at 10 a.m. You can come Thursday at 6.30 p.m. And all of that is because we're bridge builders. And we've always said this, okay? The mission and message never change, but the methods may change. The mission and the message may uh, never change, but the methods of how we articulate the gospel never change. And, you know, we're, and I'm speaking really to rock bridgers or, or people that call this their church, and I want us to understand something. I, and I, I have not been as clear about this in, in, in some of our seasons, and I'm, I'm trying to do better. But let me say this, okay? When you ask people, hey, why do you go to the church you go to? There, there's answers like, well, I, you know, I like the pastor, I like the music, I like the kids, my kids like to go, my kids' friends go there, you know, and we give all these different answers, and, 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 and all, none of those are, 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 are invalid or none of those are not important. But I've always believed that if you really buy in and understand Rockbridge, and if you really consider, man, I, and we're inviting people into our new all-in membership process, I just want you to hear me say from the pulpit what drives Rockbridge. If you're going to get Rockbridge, you need to understand our number one priority is to be driven by the gospel, to share the gospel, to disciple people in the gospel, and to see more people one to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if and if so, and what I've found over the years is people who come because they like the music eventually leave because they don't like the music, because we're willing to change it. I've seen people who come because their kids like it leave as soon as their kids graduate or move on. We're not interested in revolving door church. We got a mission with a lot at stake. A lot at stake. And so the bottom line for us as a church and for us as the people of God is this. And this is what Paul's getting at. is how we live matters. It's not just what we believe. It's how we live. It's how we live. So we press forward, and Paul reminds us of this, and he says this. So I've become all things to all people. Why? To win more people. But listen, to that. He, he changes the language. He goes, he used, stops using the word win, which is very significant in the text. Now he says, so that I might by every possible means. So I'm willing to change my, mes- my methods to articulate the same message. Save some. Now notice what he did. He changed from win to save. And we need to understand the significance of the word save. Save from what? Which is question number two. 
Do we really, really believe in the reality of hell and the wrath of God? I know this isn't popular. And I know there's people that are listening to me right now, whether you're in a physical location or you're online, that the whole doctrine of hell is very, very problematic. It's very, very confusing because it's why would a loving God send people to hell? And, and, and it, you know, that, I just don't believe that. God is love and love is love as long as you're sincere in your beliefs and all those kind of things. But here's what we need to understand. Paul uses language that we need to be saved from something. We need to be saved from something. And, and I think a lot of times we don't want to acknowledge what is a big reality. And so I, I just want us to understand that the greatest problem anybody has is apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, you will face the wrath of God. And God is completely justified in, in being, being wrathful toward our sinfulness and our rebellion. God is completely justified if he sent everybody to hell. We would get what we deserve because we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of his glory. We have hijacked his purpose. We have said to God, not your will be done, but Matt Evans's will be done. That makes me a sinner. That makes me a rebel. That makes me a traitor. That makes me deserving of the wrath of God. Period. Period. So let me explain a little bit about hell. Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Now, I'm a simple person when it comes to Jesus. He rose from the dead. Whatever he says, I'm with Jesus, okay? I mean, that's just how I look at it. You know, there's nobody else. Muhammad didn't. Buddha didn't. They're in the ground. Jesus rose from the dead. So when Jesus talks about the reality of hell, that's good enough for me. But let's, but we, so we can't buffet line Jesus. We can't take John 3.16 and ignore his teachings on hell. Now, we need to understand something. Hell demonstrates God's justice and God's love. The only parts of the world that debate the reality of hell are people who have it easy, like us in the West. If you go to places where there's heinous evil, if you go to places in the world where there's grave injustice, there's no criminal justice system, whatever you think of ours in America, it's way worse than other parts of the world. And their only hope of justice is that one day God will make it right. Hell also demonstrates how deep God loves us because Jesus died to keep us from it. Now, I want to ask as a question, and, and, and you don't have to be religious to participate in this question. If, if I were to say, hey, there's an unrepentant child molester that has just been hired as a kindergarten teacher at your child's school, how many of us, you would have a problem with it? I would. So why do we have a problem with someone who's unrepentant and wants nothing to do with the will of God or the Son of God, why should they go to heaven where the will of God will be done perfectly and the Son of God will be magnified eternally? There's two kinds of people in the world. The people who say to God, your will be done, and the people who say to God, my will be done. Hell is just for people who say, I want it my way. So we have to embrace that, and we have to embrace the fact that God's love is most clearly demonstrated when he became or took upon hell himself. Hell is hell because God is absent. Jesus on the cross, look what he said. Went dark, three in the afternoon, he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? 
Jesus took hell so we can miss hell and have heaven. All right? We need to understand there are people, maybe here this weekend, there are people in our sphere of influence that if they don't give their life to Jesus Christ, they will face eternity apart from him. Now, what that means for you and I is a burden. And I, and I want to introduce this burden by just saying this. You know how we know someone's a Christian? They follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. They don't just believe in Jesus. They follow Jesus. And Jesus' burden was what? Luke 19.10 says it this way. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. Same word Paul used. Save the lost. Save from what? Eternity apart from God. A, 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 an existence where God has forsaken, God has abandoned, God is not seeking to save them anymore. Their will is being done because that's how they live their lives. They never gave their life to Christ. And so we have to embrace the call to seek and save. We have to embrace the call to follow Jesus. And, and I want to share with you four ways we follow the way of Jesus in seeking and saving the lost, in winning people, in understanding there is something they need to be rescued from and that God has done something to rescue them from, them, from that. So there, there, where there's praying. There's praying. Listen, church, I've got a loved one that I care deeply about that's just faced, a, it's just gotten a very difficult diagnosis, very difficult, okay, and, and invites you to, and some of you know, and you're praying for them. Um, <clears throat> they, don't, they don't live in, in our area, but we're praying for them, and, and it's, my prayer life has gone up because of this. But I just want to say again, no medical diagnosis, how, no matter how dire or, or, or difficult, is as dire as the diagnosis of I'm a sinner and I have yet to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And our prayers go up when loved ones get sick and loved ones go through adversity. Shouldn't we pray more for people without Christ than loved ones who have Christ and yet are facing physical illness? I think we should. Because Jesus could have come and he could have wiped out cancer. He could have wiped out a whole host of diseases. But he focused on one disease. Sin. And our enslavement to it. So praying is how we follow the way of Jesus. We also follow the way of Jesus by going. Some of you may be called to go and become missionaries. We follow the way of Jesus by speaking and showing Christ. We follow the way of Jesus by sending people. As a church, we sponsor, we support, we pray for missionaries, some of them in places I can't even name publicly because it's dangerous to be a Christ follower in those places. All that is following the way of Jesus. And, and we follow the way of Jesus by giving. And, and I'm so excited, so proud. Our church ha, is giving 15% of everything given, 15% of our budget or more goes to help people, goes to share the gospel, goes to show the love of Christ. And I want to share with you a new partnership that we've just launched. We've given about 60000 to get this going. It's in an unreached people group. That's a, that's a part of the world where people, there's no Christians, there's no churches. It's in India. It's called Uttar Pradesh. It's hard to say, Uttar Pradesh. I want to invite us to pray for Uttar Pradesh. We'll do talk about it more Wednesday night. I want to show you this video from this organization called FAM, and it's just going to show us and remind us that this is part of how we're supposed to live. The God who made the world 
and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands as if he needed anything. He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole world. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so they would seek him and reach out for him and find him. God is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. The For All Mankind movement exists to fulfill God's purpose by initiating disciple-making movements that lead to biblical church planting among the unreached so that they might seek him and reach for him and find him. It's been said that the world has yet to see what God can do in, with, for, and through a people who are wholly consecrated unto him. Fam is pressing deep into the heart of God to answer that call. So if you caught the phrase disciple-making movements of church planting, that's the phrase. So basically we have helped train leaders who will be eventually become pastors and disciple-makers in Uttar Pradesh, this region in, uh, in India. We've got other things going on all over the world. This is new. I'm excited because this is a place where there's no church. There, there, there's, there's no, like, seminaries. There's no pastors. There's a few people who, who it's tiny, tiny percent of Christ followers. And, and we're going to leverage relationships and invest and, and just share the gospel and, 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 and multiply movements. But, what's, but there's unreached people groups in your neighborhood, at your job, and in your school. And then we come back to Paul. He said, why do you do all this, Paul? He said, well, I do all this because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for me, so that I may share in the blessings. So the implication is, it, there's, it's not just believing the gospel. It's not just giving Jesus you know, your faith and trust, but it's also partnering with God to share the gospel and that part of the blessings of the gospel come when we share and show others the gospel. Followers of Jesus follow. That when, when we understand what Christ has done, and, we, and, and, and we're liberated, and we understand that this event, when it's part of my life and, and it's defining of my story, that this is not just my get-out-of-hell-free card. This is the one I follow. This is the one who loves me most and loves me forever and loves me best, and I follow him, and, and as I follow him, it's worth it. Which takes us to the third question. How good and glorious is the gospel to me right now? I understand that when preachers like me talk about evangelism and talk about sharing our faith, there's a big cloud of guilt that goes on everybody, and I, and I get that, and that's not my heart, and that's not my intention. It, it, it's sort of like an inevitable part of any sermon or conversation like this, but he, here's what I believe is the crux of things, okay? If the gospel is good and glorious to me right now, 
I can't help but talk about it in my here and now. It's when we forget what he's done or drift from what he's done or fail to be reminded of what he's done. That's why church is so important. Time with God is so important. First Wednesday communion is so important. We drift from what he's done that other things become good and glorious. You have no problem talking about how good and glorious your football team is, right? You have no problem talking about how good and glorious your favorite restaurant is or your grandkids are or your you know, cool dog. that you. No problem with that. So when we understand how good and glorious the gospel is, it will naturally be part of our conversation, and we'll naturally talk about it, not in weird, hokey ways, not turn and burn, baby, but hey, let me just tell you what God's done for me, okay? And then Paul starts to talk about another aspect of this, and he starts to use an analogy that would be very familiar to Corinthians. They have this thing called the Isthmian, Isthmian, I can't, you say that, it's easier for you maybe, Isthmian Games, sort of like the Olympics, it happened every other year. And, uh, and, and they had these events. And so the Corinthians were an athletic culture like us. You know, we talk about sports, football, baseball, basketball, football, all that, right? And, and so Paul says, okay, don't you know that runners, and, and they, had a ra- they had races in these games, in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. So run in such a way to win the prize. Now, he's not saying uh, there's only one Christ follower who gets the prize like in a race, but he's saying the way you run matters, and so run to win. So he says, now everyone who competes, exerci- who competes exercises self-control and everything. And, and you get that. Like I, I read where LeBron James in the offseason spends $1.5 million on his body to stay in prime shape so he can what? Win the prize. Best basketball player in history, arguably. NBA MVP, yes. NBA championships, yes. So they do it, though, to receive a perishable crown. One day, LeBron's body will give out. Okay? And and one day, all those trophies will just be history. But we do it, Christ followers, for an imperishable crown. He's talking about rewards. There's rewards in living for the gospel, in sharing and showing Christ. So here's the question. What prize is driving you most right now? We're all prize-oriented, reward-oriented people. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. God promises rewards. That's what Paul's talking about, an imperishable crown. So the question is, what prize is driving me most right now? The paycheck you're going to get, the likes you're going to get on Facebook, or the well done, my good and faithful servant, and the rewards of eternal life? Amen. So, so all of everybody in here, you walked in, and there's a reward you're pursuing. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? And Paul just says, hey, you want an imperishable crown? Then run the race that matters. Run the race that matters. And then he concludes, and he says this. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. There's boxing in these games as well. So he uses two events. He's like, there's intentionality. Instead, so I don't run carelessly. I don't run unintentionally. I don't run to lose. That's what he's saying. But instead, there's a way I run, which means there's a way I live my life. I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. Our bodies can lead us down wrong paths. So that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I'm not running to lose. I'm not running to be DQ'd. I'm running to win. 
So I want to give a fifth question about running. Because you and I are free, as we said at the very beginning, first question we asked, you and I are free to do a lot of things. And you have choices every day. And you have options every day. And you have opportunities every day. Fifth question, does it help me run to win? What you're going to do, what you're going to say yes to, what you're going to say no to, does it help me run to win? When I go to work, how do I run to win? When I go to the ball game, how do I run to win? When I decide how to spend my time, how do I run to win? And I, I, I just think we need to question like this because he, here's the question that normally gets laid over the it, the options. Do I feel like it? Do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? What's in it for me? Will it be comfortable? Will it be convenient? I mean, I'm guilty of it. I, I get it. That's why we need to be reminded from God's word and ask some questions that we don't normally ask. So does it help me run to win? Now, implicit and explicit in all of this and this is the hope I have. This is the excitement I have. This is, this is the prayer I pray over all of us listening this weekend. Running to win is always worth it in the end. Running to win is always worth it in the end. Would everybody bow their heads, close their eyes, and just let me lead us church-wide in a time of prayer, all right? And then, listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. First, I want to just talk about something. And just so you, you're, you're, you try to focus on God, Holy Spirit, direct our minds, direct our hearts. God, I, I, first of all, I believe there's people here, and God, they face eternity apart from you. There are people here who are hell bound because they have never trusted in you, Jesus, never given you the steering wheel of their lives. And I believe you're speaking to them, not me, you, Holy Spirit. And you are showing them Jesus Christ crucified in their place. You are showing them the deep love you have for them because it should have been them on the cross, should have been Matt Evans on the cross, but it wasn't. It was Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of Man, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Alpha, the Omega, Jesus the Great I Am on the cross for me and for people, for them. So if there's someone here and today is your day to say yes to Christ, he's already said yes to you. Say yes to his life, yes to his death, yes to eternity, and yes to following him. I just want you to say in your heart right now, Jesus, I'm accepting you as my Savior, my Lord, my King. Thank you for dying for me. I put my trust in you. Jesus, as best I know how, I give you the steering wheel of my life and choose to follow you forever. Now, if you prayed that, I, I, I'm going to need you, heads bowed, eyes closed, just to take a next step card, fill it out, give it to your campus pastor on your way out, or go have a conversation. Or shoot me an email, matt at rockbridge.cc later on, and we'll direct you forward in, in, in the best life there is following Jesus. Now, I, I think there's some other people here right now and as I've been talking, you've got a name. You, you, there's someone you know that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord, King, Savior. And I'm just praying with you as you intercede for them. And ask God to use you 
to use this church to bring them to a gospel encounter. You can't save them. You can't make them say yes. You can't give them your faith. You can simply share and show. You can simply bless and invite. You can simply tell what Christ is and what he has done for you. That's all you can do. But that you would say, God, this person in my family, at my job, in my neighborhood, this person I I, I go to games with, I pray, God, they would become a Christ follower. And, God, I pray you would use me to help them have a gospel encounter. Maybe it's an invitation to a Rockbridge service. Maybe you just get to share your B.C. to A.D. story of what God's done in your life. God, we're putting those names before your throne right now. And, God, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for what you've done. I just want to thank you for what you let us be a part of. There's a lot of races, God, we can run. But this is the race you've called us to run with great faithfulness and with great expectancy because it's the race that in the end will be worth it as we share in the prize of following you with all our heart. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen.